The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Keeper Cut Podcast, a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. This is Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. As a reminder, you can follow us on Twitter. You can find me at Chad Young. You can find Pete at Pete B Baseball. You can follow the show at Keeper Cut. That's cut with a K. You can also subscribe to us anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you do that, leave us ratings and reviews. If you don't do that, you should still leave us ratings and reviews. We love to hear from you. If you got questions for us, stuff you want us to cover, hit us up on Twitter. Let us know. We are always interested to hear from our listeners and make sure that we're providing you the best Keeper League content that we can. We are now on episode 75 of trying to provide you with that great content. And Pete, we, we've done this jersey number thing sporadically. We're getting into some numbers. We'll have to start over when we get to 100 maybe. But there are a couple of 75s and Full disclosure, this is our second attempt to record this intro, and so we've already discussed these 75, so there's no no trivia, no guessing games here, but a couple of, of good pitchers from, you know, not that long ago, Barry Zito and Francisco Rodriguez, K-Rod, both wore number 75 in, in their careers, and those are those are pretty legitimate talents, so I'm I'm good giving them a shout out on the show. They were keepers in their day. I mean, strictly speaking, talent, they're they're Hall of Fame level talents, right? I mean, I, I don't know what K-Rod's deal is. Maybe he can get in someday. I mean, I what's what's the deal with them yeah. in the Hall of Fame? Did Barry Zito, is he already off the ballot or something? I don't think Zito is. I don't know. Barry Zito doesn't strike me as Hall of Fame material. He I'm was sure Hall of Fame people from the talent. Bay. I don't know if he was Hall of Fame yeah. longevity. Like his peak was like, that's. He was yeah. he was best pitcher in baseball for a period of time. Arguably. Uh, briefly. I mean, he he posted so from 2000, his rookie year in 2000 through let's say 2003. So just those first four seasons, he posted ERAs of 2.72, 3.49, 2.75 and 3.30. Then he had a 4.48 and then he was in like the high 3s for a couple of years and then he was over 4 and over 5 the rest of the way. So it was, Once it was up to the Giants. It, it definitely got ugly. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. But even with the A's, it was just those first few seasons. It was like, you know, 125, 130 starts to start his career, 800 ish innings, 700 ish innings. And then it was just sort of not as great from there. 
I don't remember if he, I mean, there aren't like missed starts in there. He was throwing 35 times a season, lots of innings. So I don't remember injuries being an issue there, but yeah, it does seem like he just, he just sort of fell off after, after that great start. But yeah, I, I think that's, I think it is fair to say from a pure like peak standpoint, his peak was good enough. If his peak had lasted a couple of years longer and his decline had been less precipitous, but neither of those things happened. So, yeah. so he's, I'm looking at the numbers now too. He's not even remotely close. So yeah, it's something yeah. like you romanticize as a, like I was, man. So his peak was in like 2002. So I was 10 years old. So I thought Barry Zito was like, God, like, yeah, it's just this like warped perspective. No, that could be, that could very easily be the difference because I'm like a good decade older than you. So I was, you know, <laughs> I was in my, my twenties by the time he, as he was moving through his prime, I was just entering my twenties. And then as he fell off, it was like, I was also in like, I had read Moneyball and was in like, that was when we were developing auto news. So I was very focused on baseball stats and stuff. And that's the point at which I would have been like, he's striking out 5.67 guys per nine. That's terrible. <laughs> like that. So I probably, honestly, I was probably too low on him for that for a period of time there. But uh, yeah, Barry Zito. Interesting guy, quality pitcher, and war number 75. So that's, <laughs> so he, gets that's our, he gets a shout out. Good work. Uh, but today, it is Friday, September 16th. This show will come out on Monday the 19th. That's like, we're down to like two and a half weeks. I'm, I'm working on my notes for the uh, first pitch podcast and realizing that guys who are put on the IL today hitters anyway or pitchers anyways who are putting the IL today like their season's basically over oh right sure. I mean you're a starting pitcher you go on the IL today you maybe get back for one start at the beginning of uh at the beginning of October but like that's it so yeah sorry yeah, I'm a little yeah. distracted there because the Guardians just scored a run to take the lead on the twins in the bottom of the eighth from second base on a passed ball Wow, who was running? And this is Ernie Clement. <laughs> I think he was in there as a pinch runner for for Josh Naylor. But uh, the ball skipped right in front of Gary Sanchez and bounced over him and then died at the backstop. And he couldn't uh, find it at first. And so the, the lesson here, of course, is you shouldn't let Gary Sanchez be your catcher. But <laughs> that's, a, that's a different story. Um, anyways, <laughs> back to the show. We're down to the last few weeks of the season here. And I'm sure... We started to talk about like who are guys available on the wire, and, and I think there's probably lots of shows out there right now talking about like who can you pick up for stolen bases, who can you pick up for power. Uh, where we're different is we're focused on keepers, and so what we want to talk a little bit about is who can you either pick up, or if you can't pick them up, maybe you could trade for them early in the off season because they're somewhat available and have real keeper value, or at least potential keeper value. And I think that potential keeper value is actually sort of important because some of these guys you're going to pick up now, you're going to, and the thinking for me on these guys is pick them up, dive deep into them in the off season, and then make a decision, right? So it's not necessarily that we're not, not everyone here is going to be an obvious keeper, but they're going to be guys that are worth having on your roster because you can, you'll have the chance to rethink them. You'll have a chance to trade them. Lots of things you can do with that. What we're going to do, talk corner infielders, middle infielders, outfielders, starters, and relievers. And let's let's dive right in and start with the corner infield position. Pete, 
who's out there right now that might be available either as a pickup now or as a low cost trade option early in the off season that you're interested in. So this particular player corner infield is not going to really be available for pickup in a lot of leagues. He, I mean, he's rostered in 81% of the SPM league. So, you know, a fifth of leagues out there might have him, but that fifth of leagues is just probably inactive right now. Um, but he's a player that I think has been having a really quiet, monstrous second half. And of course, it's quiet when you don't roster him. If you do roster him, you're like, what do you mean this is quiet? He's been unbelievable, blah, blah, blah. He was actually a player that you wanted to see go to the Red Sox, which didn't interest me at the time. And now I wish they did it. And that's Nate Lowe. Um, Nate Lowe has the second highest WRC plus in baseball in the second half, only behind Aaron Judge. He has been absolutely scorching at the plate. Uh, that's a 198 WRC plus in the second half. Launch angle is still an issue for him. He's not really hitting the ball in the air, but he's been absolutely tearing the cover off the ball. Um, and he's he's kind of fits this mold of just like, there's not much more to say, right? Like I want, I want to see him hit the ball in the air more. And, you know, he's not, I, I don't expect him to all of a sudden become like Vlad Guerrero Jr. at the position. But I bet that surprised a lot of people when they heard he had the second highest WRC plus in baseball in the second half. He's the type of guy in my keeper leagues, my ot new leagues. If I see somebody else in my league has him for like, you know, seven bucks. Now he's going to be going up to $9 potentially. And maybe he's a borderline cut for them. I'm swooping in and trying to acquire that player because I'm looking at what he's doing down the stretch and, and it interests me. Yeah. I think in auto new leagues where he gets particularly interesting is he is He's very much the kind of guy that a contender right now is sitting on as like their third first baseman, right? And and they might be using him. He might be their starting utility guy, but they didn't like most contenders didn't go into the season with him as their as the man at first base for them. So what that means is when they hit the off season, they're going to have interesting decisions to make about do I keep low and whoever was my theoretical star first baseman. Um, like I'm looking at I'm trying to see, I'm going to try to pull him up in a couple of my leagues and see if I can find a good example of what I'm, what I'm thinking here. Um, let's see if this is a good example. So yeah, here's a team that has a $2 Nate Lowe, which is just flipping terrific. They also have a $30 Pete Alonzo. So they're going to have an interesting decision to make in this offseason because I don't think you really want to cut a $30 Pete Alonso. And I certainly don't think you want to cut a $2 Nate Lowe. But do you want to keep two first basemen? I don't know. Maybe you do. And maybe maybe that's fine, right? I haven't looked at the rest of this team's lineup. Maybe they're totally good having their utility spot locked up with one of those guys. Like That could be totally fine for them. But they're also probably looking to trade one of those two. And it's, you know, Alonzo's a lot more expensive. That's going to make him a little bit, you know, easier to trade. And that the team may be focused on getting rid of Alonzo. Alonzo's also safer. He's more established. He's the guy that player, you know, the, the, that manager is going to trust that he's going to get his $30 out of Alonzo. And yeah, you can trust you'll get your $2 out of low, but will you... Will you be happy with it or will he be a $10 guy? Unlike what he's been this year, which is, which is much better than that. And I mean, you look at what he's done this year. He's got a 374 Woba this year. He was at 337 last year, 314 the year before that, 328 the year before that. 
So he is way above anywhere he's been in the majors before. Part of that is BAPIP. So he has a 368 BAPIP. His career BAPIP is, sorry, he has a 368 BAPIP. His career BAPIP though is 351. He's just, he has been a high BAPIP guy. His his lowest season was a 314. His other two, and that was 2020, right? That was a shortened season. He had a 314. His other two full seasons, or his other full season, he was at 339. And then another partial season, he only played 50 games in 2019. He was at 340. So he he's running a high BAPIP, but he's going to run a high BAPIP. His home run per fly ball rate is totally reasonable. The big thing that he's done is over the last three years, he has consistently brought his strikeout rate down. He had a 36.8% strikeout rate in that 2020 season when he was with Tampa. He moved on from Tampa to Texas and brought it down to 25.2. This year, it's down to 22.1. And it's been driven by, I guess, an increase in, I don't even know what, because his O-swing is a career high. He's more aggressive swinging this year than he's ever been, both in and out of the zone. His contact rate isn't actually any higher than it's been before. So his his career contact rate is 78.6%. He's at 79% this year. It was 79.1% last year. So it seems like he's just being more aggressive. And so he's probably not getting as deep into counts and is therefore just putting the ball in play more often, which is why he's both striking out less and walking less. But it's it's working for him because he's just hammering the ball. So it's an impressive display he's putting on. The one area I do want to throw a little cold water is that when I look at this, I don't see anything in his batted ball profile that stands out as like meaningfully better than the past. The strikeout rate is better. That's the big improvement. But his hard hit rate is right around his career levels. His barrel rate is actually a little bit below his career levels and and pretty far down from when he was with Tampa. His launch angle's up a little from five last year to eight this year. Maybe that's a difference. But I don't think this year is a fully legitimate year. And so I think it's fair to wonder, does he end up closer to where he was last year than this year? And I'm, I don't know. It's hard, like it's it's hard for me to read into it too much because like his home run per fly ball rate is much higher this year, but his batted ball data is very similar. So like, was last year real or was this year real? And I'm not really sure what the answer to that is. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, when it when it's something like that, I'm going to go with the most recent results. Um, That's I do think a, a three degree shift on average when it's that low is significant. You know, like if it was from 12 degrees to 15, I'd say, you know, eh, he's going to hit a lot more fly balls, but he already was hitting a decent amount. But when it goes from five, which is just awful, to eight, which is closer to what we want, is is definitely good, especially out of our first baseman. So I think there's maybe at least a little bit in the profile that would suggest he's making some kind of shift. And he's also just kind of coming into his own. This is a guy who's, despite being a lefty, absolutely crushes lefties. He's a career 305 hitter against lefties. He's hitting over 350 against them this year. And I think because of that, he's having some stability in the lineup and and playing every day. Obviously, this is probably the best lineup he's ever played in on a consistent basis. And I think all of that 
kind of contributes to what we're seeing here. And and think about the guys around him. Like Seager really came on strong after starting the year. I can't remember what his deal was. He was injured or underperforming, but Semyon has come on strong really well as well. There was a hot streak from Leody Tavares in there. And I think just having offensive performers around him in the middle of that lineup on a consistent basis has helped. And if he can get him, uh, I'm in $2. There's no question I'm keeping him. Uh, for that particular team, it would come down to that Alonzo. And you have to think, Chad, that that would get hit a little bit in arbitration, right? But even still, even if it's a $34, $35 Pete Alonzo, I'm smashing the keeper button there. So I, I think I'm with you. I think in that situation, you're you're just keeping both. Yeah, I think, if, I think if you're that team, you keep both. I think if you're another team in that league, which I am another team in that league, that's go a team I'm Nate calling Lowe. to just, yeah, just go and ask, hey, are you really planning on keeping both these guys? What's your thinking? Um, cause to be honest, like I would trade for that Pete Alonzo also. I was just going to say, like, yeah, I could see going for either one of them. So I, in that case, I'm probably, it's probably less a like, Hey, I want, I'm interested in trading for low. If you want to move him and more a, what's your plan at first base and right. how can we, how can we make your plan at first base turn into my plan at first base? <laughs> so, so looking at, at this list, I, I, I am pulling up the way I tried to find guys. I am looking at auto new roster percentages and trying to find guys who are under 50% rostered in auto new. And the reason I'm targeting guys under 50% in auto new is, is sort of twofold. One is it's, it's a pretty deep keeper format with the 40 man rosters and all that. So like if they're under 50% rostered there, then they're probably available in whatever format you're playing. And the other is that it'll, it'll, you know, rather than using like standard ESPN or Yahoo percentages, it, these are all keeper leagues. So Anybody who's a good keeper that isn't flying a little bit under the radar is already rostered. So the guy I'm looking at here, he is 12.6% rostered across auto new leagues right now. So he's pretty widely available in probably every league you're in. Um, he is a he's currently both first base and third base eligible. He will maintain those eligibilities next year, but he's primarily been a third baseman, I believe. And that's David VR of the San Francisco Giants. So VR, 25 years old. He is a right-handed hitter, which is sort of plays to his disadvantage, which I'll talk about in a minute. But he has been he's been really good. He has a 340 Woba on the year. There's nothing, there's no like obvious red flags in his batted ball data. His BAPIP looks fine, his home run per fly ball rate looks fine. There are though some there are some deeper concerns, and I think they will make him more readily available this offseason than maybe he should be. So one of those is his exit velocities. Uh, his average exit velocity is 84.5, and his max EV is 103.9. That's not good. It's a relatively small sample size. He's only got 61 batted ball events because he's only gotten 121 plate appearances. And so, you know. There's, he has time to prove that he is more than that. And if you look at his minor league track record, like he hit 27 home runs in AAA this year in 366 plate appearances, and he's got five more in 121 major league plate appearances. So that's a total of 487 plate appearances with 32 home runs, right? You start looking at like a 600 plate appearance pace and he's pushing 40 home runs. Now, AAA, different story, all that. 
Double A the year before, he had 20 home runs. In 2019, he had 13 home runs in just 113 games. Had 13 home runs in just 60 games, 62 games in 2018. Like He has a power track record. And so because he's got that power track record, I, I'm, I'm more inclined to believe that his exit velocities will improve than that he's just never going to hit the ball that hard. Um, his issue this year has been playing time. He's been up and down a couple times with the Giants. He made his debut on July 4th. He played for a little while, then he was sent back down, then he played for a bit, then he was on the bench a bit. And like, he's just been, you know, up and down, right? He was there July 4th through July 16th. Then there was the all-star break. Then he played sporadically until early August. Then he was gone until early September He's now starting to play regularly, and over the last week or so, he's been really good, and he's been consistently playing at first base, third base, and a little tiny bit at second base. I don't know if that's something that'll happen regularly, but it's it's happened at least once. And he's his numbers, I mean, to put him in, in an auto new perspective, he's only putting up 4.07 points per game, but as I said, he's been playing sporadically. He's been pinch hit four. He's been pinch hit. If you switch him around and look at his points per plate appearance, right? And so what this does when you look at points per plate appearance is it allows you to say, if this guy is starting the game and playing the full game, what would he put up? He's putting up 1.209, actually 1.210, basically points per plate appearance at 4.3 plate appearances per game. That's 5.2 points per game. That's a really solid number especially given the fact that third base hasn't been particularly strong this year it's better than like so, half my roster in the staff league yeah. like it's... yeah totally so again I, I you know i said before that like the guys i'm looking at here are not guys that i'm like yes go get david vr you're gonna definitely want to keep him at you know the two dollars it costs you to pick him up right now i don't know if that's true there's a lot of things that could go wrong this offseason. One is projections start to come out and don't buy in. Another is that we find, you know, you start to dig into his minor league numbers and find out that those home runs are all park inflated. Like there's there's a bunch of things that could happen that could make you make me sour on his talent. We also could find out that like the Giants just don't see him as part of their plans, right? Like right now, third base for the Giants, like Evan Longoria is hurt. JD Davis hasn't been that good. VR has been playing, but not all the time. Like there's there's questions around that position and who knows what the giants might do this off season. So he may not have a job and it may be obvious he doesn't have a job, but I, I want the option value. I want to have him on my roster and be able to sort of make that decision for myself in the off season. And yeah, so that's, that's my, my pitch for David VR. I like it. I, I especially like it for teams. Like when we're doing something like this, especially this deep in an ought new league, which you, know, you talked about this and, and you said VR is owned in 12% of ought new leagues. Like, man, that guy must be available in every single one of our listeners leagues. And I like targeting. If I'm going to target a player like that, I want him on a team like the Giants, who first of all, it's a versatile player to begin with. Like he talked about for a team that has answers almost nowhere. That I don't how the hell that team won 107 games last year or whatever it was is so yeah, beyond no me. I mean, it, it, it's fascinating. Um, and it's obviously the pendulum has swung in the other direction. They have no answers right now. You and I talked about this uh, not too long ago between J.D. Davis and Evan Longoria. But even if the Giants do decide to go with 
both of them. And, and with the other one at DH, there's clearly still room for VR to earn a spot there. And for a dollar, why not? Yeah. And I did say, I mentioned before that he was a right-handed hitter and that I was going to come back to that. The downside here is this is a team that likes to platoon a lot. And so as a right-handed hitter, you know, I said, we don't know what their plans are for third base next year. One of the more logical things for them to do is have a left-handed third baseman and have VR play as a bench bat slash small side of a third base platoon. And he'll get some time at first and maybe get some time at second. Like maybe they move him around. Maybe that helps with eligibility. But if he's only playing, you know, against every lefty and a small number of righties, that just may not have enough value. So, but like I said, this is not about go get him because you have to have him. This is go get him so that you control the market for him in the off season. Because if they commit to him, if it looks like he's going to be the starter, it gets real interesting real fast. Let's jump to middle infield. And this is where I feel like middle infield, as you get into the depths, it's it's really hard to find guys because any middle infielder who does anything interesting gets picked up right away. So who did you find at middle infield that you think fits this? Yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a tough position to tackle for something like this. So I went with someone who's kind of like an obvious choice. I, I chose him because I think he's going to be a really polarizing player this offseason. That's O'Neill Cruz. Um, he was someone who both you and I were huge fans of. Um, I ended up actually holding on to him in a lot of spots, which obviously ended up hurting me more than helping me. But he's he's kind of gotten hot over the last couple of weeks, and, and that's made things really, really interesting. Everybody knows he has the hardest hit ball during the StatCast era, that 122.4 mile an hour. I think it was just like a single, wasn't it? That wasn't a home run, whatever it was. Yeah, it was like a low line drive or a ground ball maybe even, but yeah, something like that. Yeah. Something like that, whatever the case, super talented. And so it's like, how do you look at a highly rated prospect who's shown all of the tools, who has a barrel rate over 15%? How do you weigh that against a 38% strikeout rate and the fact that he, I'm going to say it, plays for the Pirates? I think that's hard. And so I, I've always been in on him. I'm kind of looking at this as an opportunity of like, you know what? I'm glad Cruz had a 38% K rate. If... For any reason, because now I can go buy him from maybe managers who held on in their long-term leagues and says, you know what, I'm going to sell on this guy. I don't want to. I don't want to commit to such an egregiously high strikeout rate. Um, and it's not. It's not just the strikeout rate, right? I mean, that's what's contributing to it. But that batting average is the category that matters for fantasy. And I'm sorry, he's not going to hit for a high batting average unless he starts putting more balls in play. But when he does put the ball in play, holy crap, this guy is so talented. So. I'm going to be in on him this offseason. I'm going to try to buy low if I can, but I totally understand if managers tell me to go away because they still have him at a good price and they still believe in the talent because he's still shown it. It's so weird, Chad. He's shown like so much good and so much bad somehow uh, in this, yeah. this short Well, and he's season. been the last, the last like two, three weeks, he's been absolutely crushing the ball. His Since August 28th, two and a half weeks, almost three weeks, he has a 155 WRC+. plus. Like he's been incredible. He's got it. And actually over that time, he has a 282 average. Now, part of that is a 395 Bapit, but he does strike like he's, he's fast and hits the ball real hard. He should have a decently high Bapit, I would think. Um, so I expect him to be above 300, although not, not 395, but he's still over that stretch. And this is, this was the thing that concerns me is at one point, I was thinking like at one point during this stretch about a week ago, 
he had a he had gone from let's see from August 28th through September 10th so about two weeks a little less than two weeks he was even better he had a 220 WRC plus over that stretch and I understand this is we're getting it you know 53 plate appearances, small sample size, but he had run his strikeout rate down to 28.3%. And I was like, all right, if this continues through the end of the year, if all of a sudden from, you know, late August through the end of the season, he's running a below 30% strikeout rate, I'm going to be all over this in the off season. And then it's gone right back up, like right back up. He is now, his last few games, he struck out, so going back to yesterday, I don't know what he did today so far. I think he homered he had, today. It, it, he has the most, but like, it's the most O'Neill Cruz three game. Look at his last three games. It's the most O'Neill Cruz three game stretch oh yeah. that you could come up with. He, he struck out three times yesterday. He struck out four times the day before that. He struck out twice the day before that. He struck out twice the day before that. He struck out twice the day before that. But he also hit a homer in there. <laughs> and so like, it's just... That's just what he's going to do. And I'm, I'm pulling up now to see what he did today. Cause I, I swear I saw that he homered today. He did. He's find his so over his, uh, today. He was one for four with a homer and a strikeout. So over his last three games, he is two for just one 30. strikeout though. Yeah. Just that's, that's true. That's the first time he's had fewer than two strikeouts in literally over a week. week. Yeah. <laughs> so he's two for 13 with two home runs, but eight strikeouts over those last yeah. three games. That's just, so I, what, what I think with Cruz, I think with Cruz, what you're betting on is that there have been these 60 plate appearance runs of more like a 25 to 30% strikeout rate instead of a 35 to 40%. And I think what you're betting on is that that is him developing and that he, he locks something in, he finds the improvement, he gets himself where he needs to be, and then he loses it again because he's still a rookie and he's still figuring things out and he's still growing and developing. And like, that's okay. That's allowed to happen, right? So I, I think you're betting on next year, those go from 60 plate appearance runs to 150 plate appearance runs to 200 plate appearance runs. And he starts to more consistently be in that range because if he runs a consistent, let's say 27% strikeout rate, he's going to be a monster. Like he doesn't need to get to like a 20% strikeout rate. If he's under 30, he's going to be a monster because he hits the ball so hard. So I, I am, I'm a little bit torn on what I want to do with him this off season. Cause I also, I sat on him in a couple places. I think I still have him on a couple rosters and I can't decide if it's like I stuck with him through this awful season and I should just like, Double I, I, down. Pay, I paid the price. <laughs> I should stick with it. Like I've already, I've already taken the bad. So I might as well get the good. Or if I'm more in a position of being like, you know what? The hype on him is still going to be high. The strikeout rate is still a problem and maybe it makes more sense to just move on and let it go. But I, I don't know. We'll have to see. I'm, I'm pretty torn on what I want to do with him, but I will say if you think you can trade for him cheap, you should. I, I think that the reason I'm torn is because I think the market on him might be too I don't think I don't think it'll be easy to buy low, but I think it'll vary by league. And I think there's probably some managers out there who have sat through this slog of a season with him and are like, forget it. I'll take what I can get. And if if you've got that manager in your league, go go do it. So 
the middle infielder I was looking at, I had, I had originally, I wanted to talk about Bryson Stott. And so I'm just going to mention his name, but he's way, he's like 88% rostered in auto new. So he didn't fit my, my description, but he's been playing pretty well lately. And so I just wanted to mention his name, but the guy I, I ended up going with is Nick Gordon of the twins. And there's a couple of things I like about Gordon. One is he's been producing lately. Uh, he hasn't been, you know, great on the year. He has a 327 Woba. That's fine, right? I mean, I think that's a, you know, it's a 116 WRC plus. That is a that is a good season. That's a very valuable season for a major league team for a fantasy team. That's it's more good than great, I guess I would say. He's been better than that since I don't know, maybe the second half. Like he's got a 133 WRC plus dating back to late August. If I go all the way back to the all-star break, he's got a 135 WRC plus. So he has been getting better as the season goes on. He's been walking a little bit more and striking out a little bit less. Neither of those changes are huge, but they are meaningful and added together, right? If you increase your strikeout rate, or if you decrease your strikeout rate by a couple percent and increase your walk rate by a couple percent, like that's a pretty significant combination so I really like what I'm seeing there. He has been hitting the ball very hard all season. His average exit velocity is 90.8 on the season. That's helped him to maintain a pretty high BAPIP, but I think it's a high BAPIP he can repeat. The other thing I really like about him is he right now and will for next year as well qualifies at shortstop, second base, and outfield. And the way the Twins are using him, I don't think that's going to change. So he played more shortstop, like Correa was out for a little bit. They, they, you know, he hasn't played as much shortstop lately, but even in the last couple of weeks, he's gotten a couple of games where he's appeared there enough that over the course of next season, I'll bet he gets either those 10 games played or those five games started to keep shortstop into the future, but he's been playing second base and outfield pretty consistently. So he is a guy who I, I think the way I think they'll continue to use him that way. I think he's going to be sort of a utility guy. I think he hits well enough to have value up the middle and to be useful in the outfield, right? He's not like, he isn't a guy that you'd want. If he becomes outfield only, he gets real iffy real fast. But as a middle infielder who you can occasionally slot into the outfield, like that's pretty valuable. So I'm a fan. I think that he's been, like I said, I think he's been really strong lately He's having a really good end of the season. I think he is establishing himself as part of the plans in Minnesota. Because that's, you know, we talked about this with VR. It's like, what is the offseason going to look like? But I don't know that, I don't know that anybody's looking at him right now being like, yeah, he's going to play every day for the Twins next year. Because where is he going to play every day for the Twins next year? Right? It's, it's you know, we don't know what's going to happen at shortstop there. But if Correa doesn't opt in, then you're probably going to have Royce Lewis there. Luis Arise is still there, likely playing somewhere. They've got uh, Jose Miranda's got to play an infield position. Like, there's a bunch of guys that they've got to figure out how they all fit together. And Gordon is not an obvious everyday player for them, but I think that he'll end up in a nearly everyday role and play some pretty valuable positions. So that's my that that's why I, I really like what I'm seeing with him, and I think he's an interesting guy to grab as a head into the off season, see what ends up doing. Cause if he has a pretty regular job with the twins, I think he's pretty valuable. Yeah. I'm with that. I mean, this is a former 
fifth overall pick in the draft. And I think that two things here make me agree with you that he's going to be a nearly everyday player. And that obviously, because I think when we hear utility player, particularly in fantasy, it's like, oh, I want nothing to do with this guy. Like they're getting nearly every day at bats. They're significant. And the two reasons are kind of simple. Number one, you touched upon it. He plays all over the diamond. And you're right. If he was just outfield eligible, he becomes iffy. But we don't have to worry about that for a while. And the other thing is he's a lefty. And, and this is a team. I mean, every team could use left-handed bats. Everything he's doing, like you talked about, is in the right direction. I mean, even if we ignore the the plate discipline stuff where the K rate improved and the walk rate improved, just... The, the elevating the ball, the exit velocity, all this stuff, the barrel percentage, like it just looks promising enough that I think the twins are going to want to ride this out and see what they have. And he's just too valuable for too many different reasons. And then the other thing, I mean, we were talking Ot news, so this doesn't matter so much for that unless you're playing classic, but the speed it's, it's rare. And, and we talked about this last week with the the bigger bases and pitchers can only throw over twice. Like he could he could be one of the guys that sees a, a benefit from that, um, just adding to that value. So I like it. Nick Gordon, for sure. Yeah, I think he's he's interesting from the, the bigger bases and all that standpoint, because like this year he's stolen six bases and been caught four times. And that is not a great percentage. And the twins are a pretty analytically minded team. And they're exactly the kind of analytically minded team that might tell him to just like, Hey, cool it with the running. Cause you're getting caught too often, but he has been a volume runner in the past in the minors. Just last year, he stole 10 bases and was only caught once in MLB stole seven bases and was caught only twice in AAA last year. It's like he has a record of being more successful and it really only takes like if instead of being caught six times or if he instead of being having six steals and four caught, if he had seven steals and three caught, that's a very different conversation. And all of a sudden it might open him up more. So I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, does he become I mean, he, he's also he's got 370 plate appearances That six stolen bases doesn't sound like a ton. But if he had played a full season, he'd probably be close to double figures by now and would certainly have double figures by the end of the year. And so does he suddenly become like a 15 stolen base kind of guy? Maybe, especially if he's playing almost every day. So I, I, I like it. I like that's a, that's a really good point to to make. Again, even though it, it may not have a ton of auto new value. So it is really important for other formats. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll move on to the outfield and then the pitcher's mount. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, welcome back. We're talking about late season pickups you can make or early off season trade acquisitions. 
And we've talked about middle infield. We've talked about corner infield. Let's go to the outfield. Pete, who do you have for us fielding in the outfield? So this one I can be kind of quick on because it's out of the five names that I came up with, I think it's the least interesting. It's Seth Brown. So in the second half, and again, I'm looking second half, who are guys kind of flying under the radar who uh, you could kind of stash away. He's over 30 years old. He's pretty much a career platoon player, although in the second half, he's been playing pretty regularly. 880 OPS, 12 home runs in the second half. Anyway, the reason I bring him up is Eno Saris, before the season started, brought uh, or wrote an article on The Athletic titled, uh, MLB will have humidors in every park this season. What will it mean for offense? Um, and although my, my baseball podcast listening has really been cut down lately with the start of school and everything, I was able to turn on Fantasy Baseball Today today. That came out weird, but that's how that should have come out. Um, and Scott White of CBS was talking about how the Coliseum in Oakland has recently become like a launching pad. Like the something is happening there where like home runs are just flying out of the Coliseum. And that certainly caught my attention. And he tweeted out the article that, you know, wrote all the way back uh, before the season started. And, you know, did say that Oakland, the Oakland Coliseum had the third highest possible percentage increase in home runs now i'm going to spare our listeners the jargon and i'd rather they go and read the article themselves the athletic and Eno are both phenomenal but oakland was third on that list behind petco and oracle um and maybe it's it's finally combining with the heat i know oakland itself has been going through a little bit of a heat wave um and to combine all of this together is like my crazy like tinfoil hat here's why you got to go get seth brown um, but why I think the numbers that Seth Brown has put up in the second half might be a little bit more legit than we might think. Um, and if there is somebody in an not new league who's got him for a dollar or $2 or somebody in a keeper league who has him on a last round pick. And I think he could be a part of my team next year. Um, he's somebody I'm, I'm looking to potentially, uh, sink some assets into, you know, who's got him for $2 in multiple auto new leagues. <laughs> I'm going to guess Chad Young. <laughs> <laughs> as he's actually, he's like, He's he is frustrating me to no end, to be honest, because he so you mentioned his second half and he it has been a very good second half from the start of the second half through early August. He had a 307 WRC plus. That means he was 207 percent better than the average. Player. He was just, and so I picked him up everywhere and then I started using him. And from August 8th until I don't know, oh, like, oh, oh a week or two ago till let's say two weeks ago till the November, no, not November, September 3rd, August 8th through September 3rd, about a month. He had a 42 WRC plus. And so I was like, forget <laughs> it. And so I started moving on from him a bunch of places and where I didn't move on from him, I stopped using him. And since September 3rd, he has a 249 WRC plus. <laughs> so here, here's my, my thing on Seth Brown is first of all, Seth, uh, Please try to hit while I'm using you and not only when I don't use you. That would be awesome. But he appears to be kind of streaky. And so I, I would take a look at that. I, I have no idea if that's actually been true over his career or if that's just a weird, fluky thing about the second half of the season. But he does seem to have gotten hot again. And he's had a couple of these runs where like just in his last, he has he has five home runs in his last 38 plate appearances. He had a similar run to that back in July ish. And so 
when he gets hot, like if you've got him, get him in your lineup when he's hot because he does seem to get hot. But I'm with you. I, I'm I was buying in. I'm I'm very happy. I still have him the couple of places I didn't get so frustrated that I eventually gave up and moved on because in a number of places I got so frustrated I moved on. I actually think <laughs> did I do that in the staff league that we're both in? Yeah. As a matter of fact, if you, if you go look at his uh, League 13 player history, I drafted, I added him in April of 2021. I cut him six days later. And then, so the dates I just gave you where he was red hot to start the second half and then went ice cold on August 8th. I picked him up in that league, in our staff league. I picked him up for $3 on August 9th. <laughs> and I cut him on August 20th. Jesus. It's just like he's done nothing. He got I mean it was yeah. So maybe it's actually Seth, you and it could you just be me. can't have Seth Brown. This could poor guy could have had a Hall of Fame career. Yeah. If I would just stop rostering him. Yeah. Well, maybe it's just that league. He's been he's been doing well for me in some other leagues. So well, it's yeah. really weird, Chad, because someone just started an auction for him in like as you were speaking in the uh in league 13 that's really strange oh crazy and i think i don't it's know it too was. early for me to even bid on him because <laughs> i don't think i've i don't think i've hit my 30 days yet so uh yeah uh so my guy looking for someone who is lower rostered and this is interesting because outfield so the other positions that we've looked at so far if i do a search not a new for players who are rostered under what I basically did is I searched for players who are rostered in at least one league, but in less than half of leagues. And then I sort by points per game. And the other league, the other positions, there have been multiple players over five, some even over six points per game. Now, that doesn't always mean they're all that good. Like one of the middle infielders who's there is Jordan Groshans. He's over six points per game because he's played like three games. So, you know, at outfield, there are there is one outfielder who is over five points per game and rostered in under 50% of leagues. And that's Nick Maton of the Phillies, who's actually a middle infielder, right? He's second base shortstop outfield. He is, by the way, we could have talked, I could have talked about him for middle infield. I think he's sort of an interesting guy, but we'll leave that aside. Everyone else is under, really under four and a half points per game. Like there are not a lot of outfielders who are not rostered and putting up decent numbers. And so this was, this was a challenge for me. And I came up with two names and I can't decide which one I like more. And so I'm going to throw them both at you and get your thoughts on both of them. They are both platoon bats. They are both. One of them is a left-handed platoon bat, which is better. One of them is a right-handed platoon bat, which is worse. So the the worst one who I think more people are, are familiar with because he had that awesome finish to the 2021 season as well is Lane Thomas. Lane Thomas was a popular sort of late round guy this year and really was not very good for most of the season, but he's been much, much better down the stretch here. His second half WRC plus is 133. That was after a an 80 WRC plus in the first half. In September, it's 152. Like he's just, he's on fire right now. He did this last season at the end of the year. And my guess is that even as people see this performance down the stretch this year, there's going to be a decent number of people who are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? And like, not, but, you know, this is sometimes how players develop and he's still only 27. And so this may just be a like, 
it, it may just be that he got hot late last year. He had a rough start this year and he's settling back into form now. And you know, next year is the year he puts it all together. So I think if I can get him nice and cheap, I, I'm intrigued by that. The guy I am more interested in, because I think he will maintain the large side of platoon next season in a very hitter-friendly park in what should be a very strong lineup, especially if they change their manager, is Gavin Sheets of the White Sox. Um, and I don't know if you've been following the news of the White Sox, but like, there's been talk about how LaRusso is urging them to like make contact, put the ball in play, not worry about this launch angle stuff. And since he's been gone, this team that was supposed to have great power suddenly has great power again. And Sheets fits right into that. He had a 89 WRC plus in the first half. He has a 123 in the second half. He's actually cooled off quite a bit after a great August. He's got only a 21 WRC plus in September and October, but I think he is a legitimately good hitter. I think he is a platoon guy. I don't think they're going to use him against lefties. And I think you just have to be comfortable with that. But as an outfield play, an outfielder who's he's also first base eligible, which is a nice little bonus. But as an outfielder, you can afford that platoon bats because you have five outfield spots. You can carry nine, 10 outfielders if you want to in auto new in less deep leagues. Like even in my CBS league, where I only have four outfield spots, my bench almost always has at least one or two outfielders on it. I only have, you know, I, I usually have anywhere from two to four bench bats and I try to find multi-position guys and multi-position guys these days are almost always includes outfield. And so sheets, like I can make room for him on almost any roster because he's going to play the large side of the platoon. And when he plays, he's really good. He hits. And so that that's a guy again, who like, I'm very happy to have him for a buck or two right now where I can keep him cheap into next season. You can't start an auction for him in league 13 because I have him for $2 there. He is not one of the guys I've moved on from. We'll see if that lasts, but I, I like him going into next year, but again, another guy who it just depends what it depends what the White Sox look like going into next season. Cause it is also possible going into next season, Jose Abreu is still around and they've got to figure out how to get Vaughn and sheets and Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert and AJ Pollock. And like they've got all these guys and then they're going to have guys like Oscar Colas coming up. And so it's a, it's crowded, but if he looks like he is going to be a, a sort of full-time large side of the platoon guy. I'm all in. Yeah. I like sheets. Um, I think that's a good call there. I, I think there's a lot more upside with sheets than there is with Thomas. Thomas. I just worry about where like he is hot right now and he's actually helping me out in quite a few spots. Um, as is Pollock, by the way, who, who you just mentioned there in, in passing. He's, yeah, he's, he's been good, good lately. Yeah. He's been pretty hot. I just with Thomas, I worry like if this is a guy who basically has zero pop and he's going to have an an OBP around three hundred. I don't know what he does for me. You know, I, I think we were hoping there was going to be more speed, and in a literal sense, there is speed, but in a stolen base sense, there hasn't really been. Uh, but sheets, I'm yeah. I'm with you there. It's just you know we got to see how it shakes out. Talent wins out, and that's why I, I'm hoping sheets and Gordon from uh, our middle infield conversation end up with, you know, that 400 to 500 plate appearances that could be pretty impactful um, in any kind of format, let alone one as uh, as deep as Ott New. And I couldn't help but think, man, that stuff about Tony La Russa is just like so typical. How much has that affected Andrew Vaughn, I wonder? Because Andrew Vaughn had like, like coming up and when he got drafted, it was supposed to be this monster power hitter. And he's 
he's having a fine year. It's weird. His WRC plus is like exactly a hundred or something like that. But in his war, I think it's like 0.1 or something. Maybe I'm wrong in the WRC plus. I might be thinking about his war. He has, a, he has a, like a, he has a weird stat behind him considering his his fantasy yeah. numbers. But like, I wonder if that like is there should I be targeting Andrew Vaughn now because Tony Roos is going to be going. I, I see. I said I think this is it's like it seems like a crazy thing to say because I cannot imagine. I, I cannot imagine any other circumstance where I would be looking at a team or a player and saying they have a new manager. I'll bet they're going to become great now. <laughs> but I sort of feel that way about maybe literally every player on the White Sox. Like, you know, Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert have had all these injury issues. And I can't help but wonder how much of that is an old school manager like Larusa who thinks you should be out there every day. And like, you know, it's, it's ridiculous because I just mentioned this book on our last uh, episode I talked about, I read the Ricky Henderson biography, Ricky LaRusa managed him. And one of the things LaRusa talked about, one of the things talked about in the book is that Ricky was ahead of his time in believing that if he was at like 80%, he should take a day off and like get himself rested. And that is like every player seems to do that now, but they talk about LaRusa as being one of the managers who believe that like, no, 80% of you is better than my alternative. So you need to be out there. And I can't help but wonder if guys like Robert and Jimenez are, whether it's literally LaRusa saying you have to go play or whether it's just a sort of cultural thing he is imbuing into the clubhouse of like, I expect you to play unless you really can't play. Like, are they rushing back? Are they playing when they should be taking days off? And will a new manager take better care of those guys' bodies? And therefore, they'll have much better seasons next year. And I, you know, I think you're right. Like, is Vaughn not hitting for the power he should because he's being told by his manager to do something different? Maybe. So that is a that is a unique situation where I actually think like different manager. I might actually treat those players differently. I think I'll. I think I will buy in on those guys. I would just like to see the front office like not necessarily eat crow for the satisfaction, but like I'd like to see that there's a, a change in thinking because it's one thing to get rid of Larusa, but who you hired him in the first place, you know, like, well, but it's, what, I mean, it's going I, on here. <laughs> the thing is from as far, as far as I can tell, it's not the front office. It's just the owner. Okay. Yeah. I'm not and that familiar with this. Going, it, it just seems like Reinsdorf went over everyone's head. and was like, this is our manager. Okay. And so I'm, I'm not sure I would guess I, I haven't spent much time in front office meetings with the White Sox, but I would guess behind closed doors right now, the conversations are not like, wow, how did this go wrong? The conversations right now are like Ken Williams and company being like, hey, Jerry, remember when we told you not to hire this guy? Look what's happened since he got sick. Like he's been gone and look how much better we are. And I, I you know, maybe they're being more respectful than that. But I would guess that's the, the type of conversation that's happening. And I suspect LaRusse is done for good, but we'll see. Let's uh let's jump to the pitcher's mound. And I'm gonna start with starting pitchers. Any starting pitchers, and this is always hard, right? Because every starting pitcher shows any sign of anything gets picked up, but any starting pitchers out there who you think might be available either now or in the offseason that are interesting long-term value 
Uh, so I'm going to go with one that I, I don't know how you're going to feel, Chad, because you were super in on this guy like I was, and, and he's, I guess, disappointed. It's Blake Snell. Um, it, Blake Snell is, is the classic, like, two steps forward, one step back, you know, one step forward, two steps back pitcher where, you know, he'll rally, rally off a couple great outings. And then out of nowhere, it's this monster clunker with a million walks. And, uh, he was interviewed like a month ago and I'm trying to, I'm trying to find it. I, I can't, but the gist of, of what it was, was he was kind of showing some frustration with like, he knows he doesn't go that deep into games, but when he tries to pitch to contact, bad things happen. So he's accepted, like, I'm a power pitcher and guys are going to foul a lot of balls off, but I just have to be aggressive and stay in the zone. And it seems like in the second half here, he's kind of done that for the most part. I mean, the results speak for themselves. In the second half, he's got a, a 2.75 XFIP. And that's uh, obviously accounting for, but like he's been successful despite a 359 BABIP. So there's even a little bit of bad luck in there, and he's been pretty good here in the second half. So, I mean, we're talking about a Cy Young talent, a guy who there, there's a lot of fire in that arm. If you can tolerate the occasional clunker and, and probably a high whip, then I'm kind of targeting Blake Snell because I think there's probably a lot of managers that you're in leagues with, speaking to our listeners now, that are frustrated with Blake Snell and, and ready to move on. And I'm not, I'm trying to leave emotion out of it. Like, you know, that pitcher that or that hitter that just keeps hurting you and you keep going back to the well, I'm trying to leave that yeah, out yeah. of it and just look at him in a very balanced way and, and just see like, there's still talent here. And uh, look, last thing I'll say on him to, to, to underscore the talent, 139 strikeouts in just 103 innings. So like, yeah, obviously not going deep in the game, spend some time in the IL, but he's still good like he's he still is good he has to be good he he is good and he like he avoids home runs which you know a lot of power pitchers that's that's an issue right and he he's been avoiding home runs this year which is a great sign it means that if that BAPIP corrects like the bad combination for pitchers is walks and home runs because walks and home runs are skill related things right pitchers give up a lot of home runs and walk a lot of guys tend to continue to give up a lot of home runs and continue to walk a lot of guys. And then things get ugly because if you give up home runs after you walk guys, it's bad. The other thing that I think is interesting about him is, you know, he came back, he'd been injured, right? He missed some time. He made one start, not even a start. He, he threw a pitch right in early April and then was gone again until May. He had a few starts there that were sort of shaky. His first really sort of good start of the year And this is not a start. You probably had him in your lineup. But July 1st at the Dodgers, he went five innings, struck out 12. He did walk four and gave up just one run on four hits. Um, Pretty good start. Since then, he has had three blowups, but he has only given up more than he's only given up more than one earned run four total times. Three of and one of those is only two earned runs. The three times he gave up more than two. One of them was at Coors, when you probably should have had him on your bench. One of them was just his last start, which was against the Dodgers, when you probably should have had him on the bench. The other one was against Cleveland. You would have started him against Cleveland. You would have eaten that. Fine. But if you look at that run from, let's say you didn't use him for that Dodgers game to start that run. You picked him up for the next one. If you'd used him for that entire run, he would have a 3.30 ERA. 2.41 FIP. He's striking out almost 13 batters per nine innings. Like just great, great results. He even got you six wins over those 12 starts. 
awesome stuff. And you could have very easily avoided the start at Coors and the start against the Dodgers. Now, he also had a good start against the Mets in there. Maybe you would have missed that one. But like, you could have very easily, very easily, even if you had started him at Coors and eaten that Cleveland start and just benched him for the start against the Dodgers, his last one, he had a 2.76 ERA, not counting that one start. You could knock another quarter of a run or more off of that by not having started him at Coors. So like, easily avoidable, easily avoidable blow up so far. And yeah, you t- if you tell me that I can get a guy who's going to be brilliant for five to six innings most of the time and occasionally blow up, but that 75% of those blow ups are going to be avoidable because I can predict the teams are going to happen against. Like, that's awesome. That's great value. I'm, I'm thrilled to have that guy. So I think the challenge with Snell is that his, like his average salary in auto new right now is still $20. My guess is his draft pick price is still relatively high in other formats. And that may make him tough as a keeper. But I think he's a, if he's cheaper than that, like if there was a league where he got cut earlier this year and now he's like 10 bucks, I want him. If there's a league where he's still 20 and he goes up to 22 in the off season, he gets cut in January. He is a target for me at auction for sure. I'll be all over Snell for next year. Burn me again, Blake. Burn me again. <laughs> at $10, you know. he's not even burning you. So let, let's no, get him true. at that price. Yeah. So the pitcher I want to talk about, and I uh, I put up an article today. So this is, again, today is Friday at Fangraphs looking at the most auctioned players in Auto New Leagues right now. And two of the five most auctioned players in Auto New Leagues right now are Diamondbacks pitchers. Ryan Nelson and Dre Jameson. Nelson's made two starts. Jameson's made or one. They have both been excellent. Their minor league numbers are atrocious. Like, have you looked at those guys' minor league numbers? Yeah, it, but this is like every AAA pitcher for Arizona. Yeah, and it, and I'm it's probably park and it's probably league and all that. But like, I mean, Nelson had a five point four three ERA. He was striking out less than a batter per inning. He was walking over three per like he was bad. Then he gets called up and he goes 13 innings without giving up a run. <laughs> he struck out a batter per inning. He's walked only two guys total. Like Nelson is of the two, the one that I'm interested in. Uh, and, and the reason, and, and you should go read that article that I read, wrote, because I don't want to go into too much detail here, but um, basically I like his pitch mix better. He's doing a better job of spotting multiple pitches. Jameson leads with his fastball and was having a really hard time in his first start spotting, I think it's four-seamer. He used a four-seamer and a sinker, and he threw them a combined 72% of the time. And he really couldn't, one of them was like not in the zone at all. I think it was the four-seamer was just never in the zone. It was like a third of the time, bad. Um, And that just concerns me that he's just, if he can't throw his pitches for strikes consistently, it's going to be a problem. Whereas Nelson was using fastball, slider, curve, and change. He throws them all a decent amount, and he could throw them all for strikes. Uh, The only one that had a below average zone rate was the slider, and the slider had a 71% whiff rate. So he's not throwing it in the zone, but there's a reason for that, and that that, right, that's a different story. So Nelson's the one who's intriguing to me of the two. Where I can pick him up for a buck, which is getting harder and harder to do, I would love to do it. And again, we don't know, like, is he going to have a rotation spot next year? 
I guess it depends. If he if his next two or three starts go the way his last two did, yeah, he's going to be their number two behind Gallon. I mean, he's been that good. But you know, he also could have a couple rough spots. They could decide he could use a little time in AAA. We'll have to see. But he will be. He's very much on my radar. So let's. Uh, we're already over the hour mark. We should try to wrap this up. So let's talk relievers. Who are Who's a reliever who you think is worth picking up because of their value for the future? Yeah, I'll, and I'll, I'll just go rapid fire. He's a lefty. It's Alex Vesia, and I, I bring up he's a lefty because I think it's unlikely he ever gets handed the the role of closer there in Los Angeles. I think Evan Phillips, or you know, more likely a, a six hundred million dollar signing, is going to take over the closer's role for the Dodgers. It's probably not going to be Craig Kimbrell for the long term. That's for sure. Um, but Vessi has really turned it on in the second half. He's a guy I invested a lot. In. I actually got him for $6, which was so much money in the keeper cut Ot new league. But I, I felt good about it. Like I had the money to spend and I was really in on this reliever. He didn't start off that hot, but he's really turned it on in the second half where through 19 innings, which is obviously a tiny sample, but it's going to be a tiny sample no matter what reliever we look at. He has a K9 over 15 and an XFIP under two in the second half. Um, so even if he doesn't ever take over that closers role, you know, more and more leagues are going towards saves plus holds anyway. I think he's going to continue yeah. to hold a, a pivotal role in that Dodgers bullpen. And I just think he's nasty. Yeah, I think it's a good one. I like Vesia. Um, he's uh, trying to pull up to see what his auto new roster percentage is. 62.8%, which is for a guy who's putting up almost nine points per inning, like that's that's or sorry, almost eight points per inning. He's at seven point nine points per inning. Like that's that's more available than he should be for sure. Um, the pitcher I want to talk about. So just throw out one more guy who doesn't quite fit my. He, he's he's rostered in ninety five percent of auto new leagues, but he is pretty under rostered in other formats. That's Alexis Diaz, who I think is going to be the Reds closer next year. Our and boy, so if you're in a league where he's available and you can lock him down as a closer, I, I would do it. But actually fitting into my definition of guys who are under 50% rostered in Otternew, the guy I'm looking at is Pierce Johnson of the Padres. Johnson was a guy who was on my radar early this season. You know, I, I was picking him up in auctions and stuff like that. And then he got hurt really early in the year. He made, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six appearances in April and then was done until five, six days ago. He's made two appearances since he came back. Those two appearances, though, he's gone two innings. They've been perfect. He has three strikeouts and two perfect innings. Pretty good. His numbers on the year, like he's at 9.95 points per inning. Now, again, it's only eight innings, but he had all the signs of a guy who was ready to break out. And... It looks like he's done that. He needs to do it over a larger sample size. But I'm really intrigued with him as a guy who, you know, it has to be a save plus holds leagues. I don't think he's likely to be the closer for the Padres. But if you're getting holds or if you're in like an auto new format where you get credit for holds or where saves and holds don't matter, like in four by four, like he's really interesting. He's really talented and he should slide into the back end of that bullpen from day one next year. Yeah, I remember you talking about him before the season started when we were trying to figure out the Padres bullpen and looking at those those eight innings so far. I see why. Yeah, I mean, I really thought he could have claimed 
the the closer's role in San Diego. And you know, I if he hadn't gotten hurt, maybe I guess by you know, by then they'd already traded for Rogers and it was clear Rogers like they were all over the place. So it's it's hard to know if that ever really they had a chance are. of happening. <laughs> yeah. And it's still sort of weird there. Yeah, for sure. And Hater seems to have settled in and Hater's got more control, right? He's still they they have one more year with him. At least Is I that think. Right? Yeah, I, he's definitely not a rental. I don't no, think. I don't think so. So I'm pulling this up. Let's see if I can find this real quick. Josh Hader, he has, he will get arbitration next year, and then yeah, he is a free agent for the 2024 season. So they have one more year with him. But it looks like he settled back into being Hader, and if that's the case, then this is it's his job next year, and there's there's no reason to speculate on who it'll be. It'll be him. So from that perspective. Johnson, who has three more years of ARB, is is not like if you're in a saves league, don't listen to me. He's not the guy to go get. That's where Alexis Diaz is more interesting. But if you're in a saves plus holds league or again a league like an auto new four by four where role doesn't matter, um, I'm I'm high on Johnson. So, so Pete, we're we're like I said over an hour. Anyone else you want to mention? Any other guys that people should be picking up that you think we need to? mention uh no i liked your bryson stott shout out earlier in the show um i I guess in the short term if nobody somehow has picked up elvis andrus yet well he has drink drunk from the fountain of youth and so maybe you need to go pick him up but uh yeah yeah no otherwise no we are in quite a battle by the way in the uh keeper cut fan tracks head-to-head playoff here um has it gotten i mean i haven't looked tonight and last I looked, like you were up six to three, and it was going to be there. Like there, there was a path for me. Like there's it wasn't, still, yeah. The door wasn't closed, but it was closing. No, there's there's definitely still a path. Um, it's like if you just look at the score, it's seven two one. But you, there's three categories that you're still within striking distance, so nothing is nothing is over at all. Yeah. The problem is I, I threw all of my bullets on the mound today. I have very little pitching left. So I think it's, uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. But <laughs> I'm glad I've at least kept it close into the weekend because I wasn't really sure I was even going to do that. Your team's been so dominant this year. So well, this is like my MO in all leagues, though, this this stat right here. I have seven more home runs than you. I have almost double your home runs. I'm only up by four RBI. Every home run any <laughs> player ever hits for me is a solo shot. I swear All solo shots. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's like uh, I've had I've, my my CBS league. That's six by six. It's on base percentage, but the other the sort of extra stat on offense is doubles plus triples. And I have a tendency to have weeks where I like out homer the other team like seventeen to five, but they out ex- they out double me like ten to nine, and it's like. <laughs> You have 15 total extra base hits and I have 17 home runs. Why do you get half credit for that? It drives me nuts. And so it's taken me time over the years to realize that like, go to I total actually bases. need to go out. Well, we could, but I actually think, I actually think what it is like, I don't, I don't mind the strategy, but I actually have needed to go and find doubles hitters. I've needed to go find, like it's an OBP league. And part of an OBP league is like, you don't think about high average guys, but high average guys are also the guys who tend to hit like ropes to the gap or like, find a way to get to second on a ball that gets cut off and the big boppers who have high on base percentages and high home run totals 
tend to be the guys who like that ball that gets cut off in the gap. They're like, no, I'm just going to jog yeah. slowly into first. <laughs> the Jordan Alvarez. We're going to stay right that's here. That's right. <laughs> so I've been, I, so I, it's taken me some time to realize that like, I need to find a way to balance that a little bit better. And I've, I think I've done a better job of that this year, but um, yeah, it drove me nuts. And that, that is the same kind of thing of like, I have all the home runs and none of the RBI. Why is that happening? So yeah. Anyways, thank you all for listening. Hope you enjoyed this. Hope it was useful. Hope you pick up some of these guys and they win leagues for you next year. We'll be back with you next week. If you've got anything you want us to cover, like I said, you can hit us up on Twitter at KeeperCut, at PeteBBaseball, or at Chad Young. Love to hear from you. Love to hear your suggestions and topics. Hope you have a good week and we'll talk to you later. 